Hello, everyone. Welcome. My name is Marilyn Shannon, and I welcome you today to the Breaking Free Show. I hope you're all doing well and enjoying January, the end of January. We'll be into February soon. And uh, it's always great to have you. And I want to say hi to Amnon before we get on with the show. Hello. Hello, Marilyn. How are you? I'm good. And you? Fine. Nice. Nice. Outside. I mean, it's oh, fun. Oh, yes. Oh, we love that, don't we? Yep. It feels good, right? It, it, does. I mean, it does feel good. It nice feels good. Oh, yeah. It feels so good. Anyway, hope you're all doing great. And I want to uh, introduce my guest to you. But I also want to just remind you that any time during the show you want to call in, please do that. I mean, that's what we're here for. We're here to communicate. We're here to engage. I know you have a picture, but you can call in any time, comment, ask questions, take us off track, whatever it is, okay? So you can call us, 919-518-9773, or you can also come in on uh, Skype. That's computers, that's plural, the number 2K voice, computers 2K voice. And then we have a chat, so if you'd like, you can put your name, nickname, whatever you like, and come in there too and ask questions, and there's a whole bunch of people in there. So I hope you all ask questions, and we really have an electrified conversation today. So let me introduce my guest to you, Dr. Elliot Engel. Welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be here. It's good to have you. So we're going to have a fun show. I hope so. Oh, we are. I can <laughs> That's tell. That's up to me. It, well, if it's to <laughs> the be... The pressure's on. We'll it is, see. It is. If it's to be, it's up to you. So listen, so we're going to talk about a lot of things today. So enjoy it, and please feel free to call in. So Elliot... Who is Elliot? Gosh, I'm rarely asked that. <laughs> There's been many Elliots. You know, most of us have many different careers within our lifetime. I'd say the Elliot I am now is the reason that I'm on this show. I was an English professor for, gosh, about 20 years doing what English professors do, teaching, grading papers, writing scholarly works. And then, because I've always enjoyed public speaking, I decided to take a leave of absence from the university and to go around giving talks on my area, which happened to be Charles Dickens. And most people are interested in Dickens, and I did a good job doing Dickens, but I enjoyed it so much, and I enjoyed my audiences so much, that I decided, rather than trying to find new places to give a talk on Charles Dickens, I would rather go back to a place I enjoyed with a second topic. So I did a second topic, that was Shakespeare. Then I did a third, Poe. Then I did a fourth, Twain. And at this point, I have 100, and I think I'll be quitting soon, 100 <laughs> different topics. And actually, one place has used me 58 times. So I've got enough, I think, for the rest of my life. But basically, I've always enjoyed researching, always enjoyed sharing what I've learned with others. And so who I am today is basically going around the country and occasionally outside of the country, sharing with people and trying to get them as enthusiastic about a topic as I am. That's who Elliot is today. So what are we going to talk about? Which well, topic? Because <laughs> I want to know about all of these. I'm like really curious. So I know we posted about The Wizard of Oz. Right. We posted about Gone with the Wind. We posted about money and we posted about wine. So what are we going to talk well, about? Well, I'll tell you. Just because Mary Tyler Moore died last week, yeah. I would like to start with The Wizard of Oz. You oh, would gosh. not think there's a connection between Mary Tyler Moore and The Wizard of Oz, and maybe there isn't one, but when she died, it made me think of something that happened to me in graduate school that, if you don't mind, I think I'll Go begin right with. Ahead. It is this. I was always watching Mary Tyler Moore's show on Saturday nights, as so many people were in the early 70s, and I was getting my doctorate at UCLA, 
And one night when I was watching the show, when it began, they always showed a little scene with the credits of Mary in the office hugging Mr. Grant and hugging Ted Knight and hugging Murray. And as I was watching it, it reminded me of something. And then it hit me exactly what it was. I believe that the Mary Tyler Moore show was based on The Wizard of Oz. Because you've got Mary, who was the ultimate Dorothy on that show. If you wanted a cowardly lion, there was nobody better than that but Ted Baxter, who was the stupid newsman. You had Murray, her best friend, who was kind of wooden, just like the Tin Man. And, of course, her best friend, like the Scarecrow was to, um, to Dorothy, was Mr. Grant. And when I saw her hugging those three, it reminded me of the scene at the very end when she had to go back to Kansas. There she was hugging everybody. So I thought about it, and I thought, you know, this is really clever. This is based on The Wizard of Oz. So the next time I went in to teach a class, I was telling a fellow colleague of mine at the university what I thought, and he said, well, obviously that's not true. There's no Wicked Witch of the West. And that season, they introduced Sue Ann Nibbins, who was the happiest homemaker. <laughs> and I mean, she was exactly like that. And so I went back to him and said, well, so much for that. And he said, well, there's certainly no Glinda the Good Witch. And I mean, within six months, they brought in uh, Ted's girlfriend, whose name was Georgie, uh, Georgiana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was exactly like that. So I am convinced that whoever thought up the Mary Tyler Moore show had Dorothy and the three friends and Sue Ann Nivens. I've never published it, I think because it's probably not worth publishing, but here at last I get to say it to more than two people but that unless is nobody's possible. listening. No, 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 but that is possible. Absolutely, sure. I mean, why wouldn't? Why would not t a, a TV... Whoever was inventing yeah, that series. Why theory. would they not do that? Well, you know, as they said, since the Greeks, there's only about 15 different plots, and maybe that's one reason. There's maybe. only so many arcs of a story you can have. Right. But I think the wild popularity of the Mary Tyler Moore show was the same reason of the wild popularity of L. Frank Bombsdale, which is wonderful, interesting, eccentric characters, not only interacting with each other, but ultimately loving each other. And I think that, you know, and I think the Mary Tyler Moore show picked that up. I do a talk, not on Mary Tyler Moore, but on L. Frank Baum and the Wizard of Oz. One of the things people don't realize about the Wizard of Oz, it is the greatest American fairy tale ever written. And you might think, well, you know, fairy tales are fairy tales. Who cares if it's American? But that is very, very important. In almost every fairy tale that we read when we grow up or hear, if you listen carefully, you can figure out what country invented it. For example, let's take uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. You don't have to be a genius to figure out that Jack and the Beanstalk must be an English fairy tale. What is the subtle clue? Fee, fi, fo, fum, I smell the blood of an English money. <laughs> right there. In fact, I, and I find this interesting. I hope you do, since it's early in the show. If you don't, we might quit. But to me, there's one fairy tale that has been translated and is known by more people in the world than any other. It won't surprise you what it is. It is Cinderella. What is the origin of Cinderella? It turns out that Cinderella 
has to be originally a Chinese fairy tale. The reason? Only the Chinese would invent a fairy tale where the entire plot turns on how small a woman's foot is so that it'll fit in oh that tiny glass gosh. slipper. There's no other civilization oh who would have come up with that. So gosh. it's got to be Chinese. Oh, oh my gosh. I've got a person oh I really my like. Gosh. Oh my gosh. And hold on a second. <laughs> no, I just want to tell you that, uh, just so you know, because I want to, I want more people talking to us in the chat. I want you to Why know not? that Mary Ann said, Elliot, so great to hear you live. And then Darian said, I love that theory. And I'm not sure which theory that was, Darian. Cause I have said so many. Darian oh is probably gosh. just. <laughs> so please let us know. About the Wizard of Oz. And, oh, but the Wizard of Oz. Oh, my God. That, about the shoes. Yeah, in that. And when you think about it, it must be Chinese. Nobody else would have come so up with that. So did you look back and see and trace all of that? or No. What I do is I read everything possible on fairy tale symbolism, fairy tale. You know, if you can research, and the one thing, you know, PhDs don't have a lot of practical skills, but what we are taught from undergraduate on is to how to find the information. Sadly, today, with the Internet, which I love, and Google, which I'm, you know, <laughs> devoted to, it is so much easier. But given that, you know, I'm going to be 69 when I was going through school, there was none of that. And so I went up into the stacks, read everything I could. I am a speed reader. I know how to skim. And so I have 100 topics because I'm able rather quickly. It takes me about a year and two months to do any topic before I'm ready to give it to the so public. So you've done a year and two months on all of these topics? I'd say about 14 to 16 months before I get it exactly where I want it. Then I memorize it. And then the trick is to give it in front of a group but not make it sound memorized. Right, 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 and I can right, tell you, right. you can do that, and you'll know this. As long as you're giving it to people who have never heard it before, it's equally fresh to you. I could never give a talk twice to any group because I would be so self-conscious that they've heard it before. But if it's new to them and to watch them get excited by what excites me, that makes it new to me. That is real. And why fairy tales? I guess it's because... Everything that happens to us as children seems so much more vivid than as an adult, and it is the child's form of literature. My life as an English professor is talking about literature. When did I first appreciate it? Obviously, as a child. So I think that's probably why. Yeah. Um, back to L. Frank Baum and The Wizard of Oz, you know, I said it is the most American fairy tale ever written. How would people know that The Wizard of Oz is American? But one way is the entire plot depends on a tornado. We are the only country on Earth that has tornadoes. There are cyclones someplace else, but America, I don't know if it's 50 times more tornadoes, but tornadoes are an essential part of our weather system when L. Frank Baum had to figure out how to get her to Oz. And where is he from? He, well, you would think he would be from Kansas. Okay. L. Frank Baum was not just rich as a child. He was filthy rich. <laughs> he was raised in Syracuse, New York, except, and of course, nobody who's a great author ever comes from Syracuse, well, but he no. wasn't raised from, Syrac in, from Syracuse, New York, because his family was so wealthy, they had this multi-acre estate. Not only did he not go to public school, he didn't go to private school. His parents actually sent to England for tutors to come over and tutor him. 
So you have this man who writes about Dorothy and very middle America things who was raised incredibly rich. But the interesting thing about L. Frank Baum, his is a tale of going from riches to rags back to riches. And by the time he died, he was back to rags. His life started rich, went poor, got richer, ended up terribly poor when he died. So he did understand that there's more to life than, you know, tutors from England. So I, I have a question, and then I want to just say I love everybody talking on the chat, and I'm going to – I have a question about okay. fairy tales. But, sure. But I want to tell you that um, Mary, Mary – Darian said he corrected me. He was talking about – Mary Tyler Moore. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, there's just yeah. so many things I'm fascinating on. You know, it, it's hard and to know. And so here is Mary Ann, and she said, I show his videos in my Brit Lit class at high school. He's basically famous here now. My goodness. Wow, I didn't know I was basically cool. famous and, anywhere. Well, Thank you, Mary Ann. Yeah, that's fabulous. And then, um, okay. And, I, and Bob says, huh, I didn't know that only North America has tornadoes. I didn't say. Now, Bob, I got to, again. <laughs> Clarify we, right, we call them something else elsewhere, and we have so many versus any other place on Earth. But the tornado is an American phenomenon. Cyclones are everywhere. But the interesting thing about us, most bad weather occurs near a shore. Hurricanes, earthquakes tend to be there. The interesting thing about tornadoes, and the reason um, Wizard of Oz is such an American story Tornadoes start in the very middle of the country. There are more tornadoes in Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas, Kansas. than anywhere. So he was brilliant. If he wanted a story about mid-America, make it a tornado. And by the way, since you were going to ask about fairy tales, one of the most interesting things about fairy tales is their name, fairy tales. If you read fairy tales, you will find gnomes, gremlins, dwarfs. You will find all sorts of interesting creatures, but the one creature you don't find in a fairy tale is a fairy. The <laughs> only fairy who is famous oh, is great. Tinkerbell in Peter Pan, and she's famous more for what Walt Disney did. There aren't fairies in fairy tales, so I know your question, and if it's not, you should ask it. Well, Elliot, why do they call them fairy tales? They don't. It's an old English word. The word is fairy. Fairy means magic. The only thing a fairy tale has to have is magic, and they all do. It has nothing to do with fairies. It's just a mispronunciation of magic. So, so how, do, how do adults react about talking about fairy tales? I'll tell you how they react. They react like children because it brings them back to their childhood quicker than any other form of literature. Well, actually, the difference is fairy tales, the Hardy Boys, and Nancy Drew will get adults back to childhood quicker than anything else. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, and this was very depressing when I learned this as a child, they weren't written by an author. They were written by a committee. You know, it says the Hardy Boys by Franklin W. Dixon. It was a group of 12 writers who came up with those stories. There was no Franklin W. Dixon. There was no uh, Carolyn Keene for, uh, for uh, Nancy Drew. So fairy tales, though, go back so far. In fact, you notice almost all fairy tales are from the Middle Ages. And they most always, so many of them involve a girl who is lost 
in the woods. It's always a girl in the woods. If you give her to dwarfs, it's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. If you give her a brother, it's Hansel and Gretel. If you take her to grandma's, it's Little Red Riding Hood. But it's always a girl in the woods. You know why it's always a girl in the woods? Because fairy tales were probably written about between 800 and 1500. Most of them, those were the Middle Ages. When people looked out their window or wanted to think of a, t a, a childhood thing, they thought of a girl in the woods. If fairy tales were written today, it would be a teenager at the mall. It's an entirely different situation today. But you always go with what you see around you. Today, it's a teenager at the mall. Back then, it was a girl. And it's interesting. In fairy tales, characters only get lost in the woods. They never get lost in a forest. There aren't forests in fairy tales that kids wander in and out of. The reason, in case you weren't going to ask, I'm going to answer it for you. <laughs> Actually, you can go do something else, okay, Marilyn. Please. I'm on a roll. Bye. Go have lunch. <laughs> Good. Take it away, Ellie. <laughs> the, the re I already have, dear. Haven't you been noticing? The, re <laughs> the reason. Just give me time to promote my book, all right? Okay. Last two minutes. That's it. And only if you're good. And keep quiet. The, I'm doing my best. The reason that it's always. <laughs> Do we have a duck in here? <laughs> the reason that it's always a girl in a oh. woods and never in a forest, back then, forests were owned by kings. They were thousands of acres long. You couldn't get in them. And if you got in them, you would never get out of them because you could never find your way out. But woods are small. They're just a grove of trees. If you wander into the woods by mistake, you can always wander out. And so fairy tale uh, writers were very conscious that there's a difference between the forest and the woods. And I know what you're thinking, Marilyn. Between the but forest today, and the trees. Right. But today we don't have that distinction. Well, Marilyn, you're wrong. We do. There is one way, even today, that we all know the difference between a forest and a woods. It would be this. Let's say, God forbid, you have a friend who's had a very serious heart attack, and you're going to visit her in the hospital. You go to the hospital, and you're walking towards her room, and you notice her doctor is coming out of the room. So he must have just reported to her. So before you go into the room, you want to know before you go in what's going, up, going on. So you walk up to the doctor, and you say, I'm Jane's friend, and I have to ask you how she's doing. Now, if the doctor says to you, well, she's not out of the forest yet, you can start planning the funeral. That woman isn't getting better. We never say out of the forest. We always say she's not out of the woods. And by that, we mean it's bad, but it's not so bad that she can't find her way out. So we're still using the forest versus the woods. Okay. Is it okay if I ask you a question? No. <laughs> Right ahead. Okay, well, this is a question. I'm trying to overcome my shyness. This no. is hard for Oh, my me. God. No, go, go right ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, Bob wants, is asking a really good question. Why really? don't we have any new fairy tales? Why don't we have any new fairy tales? It is an excellent question to ask. And I think the reason is this. Harry Potter is so similar to a fairy tale. But because we think of fairy tales taking place, I'm going to quote it, once upon a time, we have made the fairy tale automatically something in the past. 
But if you read a series like Harry Potter and look at what attracts the kids and the adults to them, you will discover that it's just a fairy tale that takes place in a different time. We do have fairy tales. Because fairy tales means magic tales, any children's literature, Peabody Award or not, that is written today that depends on magic is the 21st century fairy tale. So we do. We've just packaged it under a different label. All right, here's another one. Okay. Okay, and it's a question from Chris. I have a question. When there is a... Oh, wait, whoa, whoa. My son loves the Wright brothers and their story. Does okay. Dr. Engel have any interesting tidbits to share that I can share with him? Does Dr. Engel have any interesting tidbits? How long do you have? Yes, let me. but let me give you some things that they would find interesting. I'll tell you, first of all, what I find interesting. There is the debate. If you look at the license plates here in North Carolina that say first in flight, and you look at the license plates in Ohio that say birthplace, what is, what is the Ohio? Anyway, because they came supposedly from Dayton, Ohio, but the first flight was at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, Ohio and North Carolina have always battled it out. Who deserves to be called the Wright Brothers' own? I have figured that out on my own. And of course, because I'm from Indiana, grew up in Indiana, spent my first 20 years in Indiana, I don't have a dog in this fight. I might live in North Carolina now, but I think I can say definitely where the Wright brothers should be from. And the way you look at where a person's from, you look at their ancestors, you look at their parents, you look at their brothers and sisters. Where were these people born? So I did a little research and I found out that the Wright brothers' mother was born in Indiana. Their father was born in Indiana. All four of their grandparents were born in Indiana. Their two eldest brothers, they were born in Indiana. It turns out um, Orville was born in Indiana. Everybody was born in Indiana but one of the Wright brothers. So as far as I'm concerned, they are Hoosiers, and you can quit talking about Ohio <laughs> Or North Carolina. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. Okay, here we go. I'm going to slip another question in quick. Go right in. Okay, so do you consider Star Wars a fairy tale? I do, because talk about, like Harry Potter, it is based on magic and the other thing most fairy tales have, a world that somebody else dreamed up. Something bizarre, far removed from our actual world, and yet peopled with characters we identify with because no matter how long and far away the world is, what's inside the character are the same emotions that make us laugh and cry and care about these characters. So yes, it's a fairy tale. Again, it's a magic tale, and that's all fairy tales mean. So uh, Bob is just saying the birthplace of aviation is on the high old. Oh, thank you very much. Thank and it you, should Bob. it should be on the Indiana plates. We'll have to we'll have to get started with that. One other thing about the Wright brothers that I find really interesting and does relate to North Carolina, as I said, the very first flight was from Kitty Hawk. And in nineteen oh three when it was made, Kitty Hawk today is not a big place, but back then it was a real podunk by the ocean. And so when the Wright brothers went there, they built an incredible what we would call huge kite to try it out you know to, and they found out that if you made it out of a french sateen fabric it would fly better 
So it was Wilbur who taught himself how to use a sewing machine, made this French sateen fabric, covered the wings of the kite with it, and it worked very well. When they went there for the first time, there was no motel, there was no place for them to stay, but one of the families in Kitty Hawk, when they found out what these two young men were trying to do, they said, you stay with us. We have two daughters, we have an extra bedroom, so they stayed there. The daughters were in high school, and so they stayed with them, they flew that huge flyer with the French satin uh, um, wings, and then when it was time to go home back to Dayton, Ohio, they couldn't schlep that thing with them. Schlep is a Kitty Hawk term, you understand. <laughs> and so they just left it there on the beach. Well, the week after they left, the mother in the family had a problem. Her eldest daughter was going to the junior prom, and she wanted to make her a dress that would stand out. But there was very little fabric choice in Kitty Hawk. And as she's washing the dishes in her kitchen, looking out to the beach, because they lived right by the beach, there is that wing of the kite with the French sateen fabric. She goes out there, she takes it, and her daughter went to her prom wearing the first thing ever that went up in the air by the Wright brothers and taught them how to make the airplane. If only she would have kept it, it would be in the Smithsonian today. God knows what has happened to it, but that is a true story about what happened to their original kite that turned into a plane. So and, I want, the, and the material ahead. lasted for eight dresses. Yeah. <laughs> I like, now there's Andy a fairy down. tale. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> there's a Yiddish word, bubamaisa, that means basically the same thing. Really? It's <laughs> right. a bubamaisa. It's a bubamaisa, which a bu means grandmother's tale, which is like a fairy tale. Um, are we going to talk, there's two more subjects we're gonna, that okay. I really want to talk about. I want right. to talk about Gone with the Wind. Okay, um, I'd love before to. Before we get on with that part, All right. tell me wh what is like the overall lesson learning that we get from fairy tales. What do they give us? Like Aesop's fables, which are not exactly fairy tales, but were written for children, they give us a moral universe. They make children understand that there are consequences to their acts. And the other thing they do, which they don't do today as effectively because we've had to eliminate it, they make people understand from the earliest age that the world is not your friend. There are violent things out there. But as long as you carry within yourself the tools to stand up to what must be stood up for, courage mostly. In fact, the Wizard of Oz has three things. The lion wanted courage, the tin man wanted a heart, and the scarecrow wanted brains. Most fairy tales teach kids all you need are three things. You need a brain, you need a heart, and you need courage. And then no matter what the world throws at you, you're going to be okay. So it's a great moral training ground that's fascinating. It's the only reason kids pay attention is because, of course, it's a good story. But what's left after left the story out. is something that bright kids carry with them for the rest of their lives. Wow. All right. We got a caller. Oh, good. Oh, okay, so please, if you call, call <laughs> we had back a call, again. Call back. Yeah, 919-518-9773. feeling lonely. <clears throat> oh, my God. <laughs> and then Computers 2K Voice, if you want to call in on, on uh, the uh, 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 Skype. But listen. And when you call in, don't expect to be put on or start talking right away. Wait 
until there's a break and then we'll get you in and make sure once you are connected to either walk away from the computer or turn down the sound on the device. Mm. No wonder they don't call too many instructions. <laughs> well, it makes sense. Okay, it does. Same, right. Okay, so before we go on, here's a mm -hmm. question from Marianne. Okay. So she said, "Thank How you, do Marianne, you... for sticking with us." Do you know Marianne? I'm sure I do. Well, you do. Now. I know more than one Marianne. <laughs> uh, she wants to know how do you feel about the grim fairy tales and their violence. I guess. Because having been born in 1948 and listening to those things for my first 10 years from 1948 to 1958, when you couldn't put any violence on television, you know, at all compared to today, maybe it warped me. But as far as I'm concerned, I think children, most children at least, have the understanding of what's real and what's play. And I think, I can't imagine hearing violent fairy tales turns kids into violent adults. I think what hearing violent fairy tales do for children is it scares them enough so that I would love to believe they will try to avoid violence in their own personality, in their own life if they can. And I could be wrong, and there's psychological theories that I've read that go either way. It's good, it's bad. But I think it has to be an essential part of a fairy tale because what the fairy tale is teaching you is that be careful. This is not the world you think it is, and violence is the most effective way to do that. Good answer. Well, thank uh, you. And then Mary Ann said, personally, I love them. <laughs> Good. And I'd like to we know agree. why. So if you want to call in, Mary Ann, please you're welcome. Please do. Yeah. Absolutely. Or answer you know, on the chat. Love to know why. Okay, so... Well, there are two subjects. Which okay. one should we go with? Churchill? Gone with the wind. Okay, and then Churchill. <laughs> That'd be great. Okay, so Gone with the Wind. All right, here's why I do Gone with the Wind. Many people listening to this uh, broadcast have read the book more than I have. I've only read it twice. Most of the people listening have seen the movie more than I have. I've only seen it three times. But I would not have done 15 months of study on Gone with the Wind if I couldn't now tell you something about that book it's going to make you appreciate it far more than you've ever appreciated it before, but something you didn't know. And it is this. Gone with the Wind is not about Scarlett O'Hara. Gone with the Wind is not about the Civil War. Seems to be about it. It's not. Actually, Gone with the Wind is the secret autobiography of Margaret Mitchell, the woman who wrote it. Now think about that. That is a ludicrous thing to say. She was not born until 40 years after the Civil War, and yet I am telling you it is about her. She didn't fool me, and now she's not going to fool you. This is what Gone with the Wind is about. Margaret Mitchell had a fascinating emotional life, but she was a very shy person. So what she did, she took the most interesting actual events of her life and emotions and she threw them back in the Civil War era to disguise the fact that they were hers. But they are. And the scenes we remember most in Gone with the Wind are absolutely from her life. Let me give you an example. Let me give you one example at least. 
When she was 19 years old, she had to drop out of college because her mother died and her father had gone insane with grief. If, by the way, this sounds vaguely familiar to you, it is just like when Scarlett has to go back home and her father, Mr. O'Hara, says, your mother is sleeping, don't bother her. And Scarlett goes in and sees that her mother had died 48 hours before, but her father had gone insane with grief. That comes exactly from Margaret Mitchell's life. Her father had gone insane, so once her mother was gone, she stayed in Atlanta. But the problem was she was trying to get her father healthier, but her aunts were furious with her because she came from money, and her aunts wanted her to go to the one social event that all girls in Atlanta in 1920 had to go to. Of all things, it was a fraternity party at the Sigma Alpha Epsilon House at the University of Georgia, which is right outside Atlanta. The SAEs were holding a prom, and their theme was Moonlight and Magnolias. And they insisted that any girl who went to the SAE house had to be dressed in an authentic gown that an Atlanta girl would have worn in 1840. This is antebellum. They wanted girls to dress like girls would have dressed for a prom in 1840. Well, Margaret Mitchell knew the Civil War. She did research, and she discovered that if a girl went to a prom in 1840 in Atlanta, her father would have been a pig farmer. And when they went to balls back then, they either wore a brown dress or, more likely, a black dress that even had patches in it. So Margaret Mitchell makes herself an authentic black patch dress from 1840. She goes to the SAE house, and to her horror, she discovers none of the other girls were wearing anything like that. They had done no research. They were wearing satins and silk. She looked like an idiot in her black dress. She went into the dance room, found the furthest wall away from the dance, and figured nobody was ever going to ask her to dance in that dress. You won't believe what happened. There was a young man at the dance that night by the name of Red. Not oh. Rhett, but Red Upshaw. Who was Red Upshaw? He was the big man on campus. He was on the football team, and the Saturday before, he had caught the winning touchdown pass that allowed Georgia to defeat their arch rival. So the last Saturday, he was the big man on campus. He came to the dance, and in case anybody forgot who he was, he was carrying the football just for publicity purposes. Well, the master of ceremonies at the SAE house saw him and said, Look, there's Red. He caught the winning touchdown pass. He's our hero. Let's let him pick whoever he wants for the first dance of the evening, which will be a Virginia reel. You won't believe who he picked. He bypassed all of those girls in their fancy dresses, made a beeline for ridiculous Margaret Mitchell in that black dress, and asked her to dance. If that scene from uh, Gone with the Wind sounds vague, from Margaret Mitchell's life sounds vaguely familiar to you, as you know, it is the second most famous scene in the novel when Rhett Butler does the exact same thing to Scarlet. She's dressed in black because her idiot husband, Charles Hamilton, had died of measles before the war started, but nonetheless, she had to wear black. It is right out of her life, and the reason it resonates with us is because it happened to Margaret Mitchell, but she was so shy, she would not want herself to be found out so she threw it in the Civil War era and wrote one of the great historical novels of all time. 
another thing, if you don't mind, about no, go Gone ahead. with the then Wind we'll go to that is right that is based on her life. Or actually, more interesting is this: the book came out in 1936, and from the day it came out, Margaret Mitchell claimed her personal life was over. It turns out the book had such a religiously fanatic reading public that she and her husband, Margaret Mitchell's husband, they clocked it. From the day the book came out, there was not one day in their lives when they did not get at least 20 letters by the mail, three telegrams from the telegraph office, people calling on the telephone, or actually just coming up and knocking on their door. And what Margaret Mitchell said, what made her so annoyed, none of them, all these people who had to get in touch with her, None of them said, we like the novel. You know what every one of them said? They said, will Scarlet and Rhett ever get back together again? She had the brilliance of writing a 1,026-page novel and leaving it open-ended. So it's all anybody ever thought about. Well, finally, after two years, the hoopla of Gone with the Wind died down, and Margaret Mitchell thinks, finally, I will have peace. The month after it became number two on the New York Times bestseller list, having been number one for three years, David Selznick announces, we're making a movie. So the whole thing starts over again. And David Selznick calls Margaret Mitchell on the telephone right before he's about to cast the four main roles of Gone with the Wind. And he said to her, listen, I know you go to movies. Is it possible when you invented your four famous main characters, you had a movie star in mind? And Margaret Mitchell said to David Selznick, I'll tell you this. One of my four main characters, every time I wrote a line of dialogue for the character, I actually heard it said in my head by my favorite movie star. And David Selznick said, that is great. Tell us who it is. It could help in casting. And Margaret Mitchell said, okay. The character was Rhett Butler. And even though he's based on somebody I knew, and of course now that I've told you, you know it was Red Upshaw. She said, even though it was based on someone I knew, every time I wrote a line of dialogue for Rhett Butler, I heard it said in my head by my favorite movie star, Groucho Marx. And she was not kidding. She suggested Groucho would be the best Rhett Butler. Can't you see Groucho waddling up the walk saying, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, you know, sucking on that cigar and having his eyebrows covered. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, they didn't pay any attention to him. So, uh, by the way, Margaret Mitchell had a very sad end. You know what she followed up Gone with the Wind, what her next novel was. Well, if you do, you're ahead of the game, because if you know anything about Margaret Mitchell, she never wrote another word after Gone with the Wind. It came out in 1936. She did die young in 1949, but she had 13 years and never published another work. The reason she didn't, she wrote all sorts of things in those last 13 years, but she confided in her secret diary, which we now have. She would write three chapters of a new novel. She would read it over, and she would think to herself, you know, when I finish this thing and it's published, the critics are going to say, well, it's good or it's bad or it's fair, but the one thing they're going to say, it sure isn't gone with the wind. The success of Gone with the Wind so overwhelmed her, it paralyzed her, and it actually sterilized her um, creatively, she could never write 
another thing. How'd she get the title? How did she get Gone with the Wind? I'm so glad you asked because it's a wonderful. She did not name it Gone with the Wind. She named the book Ba Ba Black Sheep because she thought Scarlet was a black sheep and it would be a good title. When the manuscript was sent to New York and they accepted it, the New York editor called her and said, now you're kidding about this title, Ba Ba Black Sheep. You must have a second title. She said, actually, I do. I thought I might call it Tomorrow is Another Day. And the New York editor said, that is perfect. It's the last line of the novel. It's Scarlet's whole philosophy. Thank goodness you told us tonight. We are running the cover tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. It'll be perfect. He called her back in 20 minutes and said, we have a problem. We did a copyright search, and we discovered that we published a novel eight years ago that had worldwide sales of 21 copies called Tomorrow is Another Day. If you don't come up with a title for us tonight, we're going to name it something ourselves. Well, this was unthinkable for Margaret Mitchell. She hung up the phone, and she had four hours to come up with a title. She could think of nothing. So to calm her nerves, she went to her bookshelf and pulled down a small volume of Victorian poems by a nan made, uh, named Dowson. She was thumbing through it, and there, in the middle of one of the poems, was the line, Gone with the Wind. And she thought, you know, that sums up what happened to the South. It's the entire culture. She called back the editor and said, what do you think of Gone with the Wind? He said, absolutely she came up with that title less than four hours before it had to be run. And speaking of that, one other thing about something that most people wouldn't know, if you would have read the manuscript of Gone with the Wind, Get Ready to be Shot, there is no Scarlet O'Hara in that manuscript. Of course, the character is there. It's her book. But as some of you might know, she had named her main character Pansy O'Hara. Well, that same New York editor, when he got the manuscript, he called her up and said, now, this is a joke, right? You weren't going to call her Pansy O'Hara, were you? And Margaret Mitchell, who could be very stubborn, said, Pansy is my favorite girl's name from the Civil War era. If you touch that name, you are not allowed to publish Gone with the Wind. So there was a pause on the other end of the telephone, and then the New York editor, in his nicest way, explained to Margaret Mitchell what currently the slang term pansy meant in New York. Margaret Mitchell listens and says, what do you think about Scarlet? And so it was changed to Scarlet, and that Perfect. is exactly why it was changed to Scarlet. Okay. All right. All right, now, Churchill. Oh, Winston Churchill. Okay, now how do we connect a Gone with the Wind with Winston Churchill? Maybe not. Maybe I don't think so. We'll connect it. For well, let's connect it with yeah. today. Yeah. Perfect. Anytime I give a talk on Winston Churchill, and of the hundred talks I give, I do more Churchill than any other talk by far, which depresses me because my field is not Churchill, it's Charles Dickens. But it's not hard to figure out why people want to hear Churchill today. We, for the past, I don't know how many years, have been looking for the perfect leader. And goodness knows for I don't know how many years, we certainly haven't found him or her. People want a Churchill. What is it about Churchill that people love so much? 
He was a great leader during World War II, of course. He stood up to Hitler, and nobody else did. And by standing up to Hitler, do any of us want to think about our entry in World War II? The Americans at Pearl Harbor had England fallen with the rest of Europe. We would have had no ally at all. And every historian will tell you, if it was not Winston Churchill sitting in the prime ministership when Churchill came to power, England would have fallen as well. He was the only one who stood between England and the darkness the rest of Europe experienced. So we can say, well, we want a courageous leader by that. But that isn't why we love Churchill. We love him because of his unique personality. On the one hand, he comes from the highest of the high aristocracy. His father was the younger son of the seventh Duke of Marlborough. You know what their ancestral home is? Blenheim Palace. So we are talking about a great aristocrat. But on the other hand, during his entire life, Churchill was a smarty-pants, show-off exhibitionist who couldn't keep his mouth shut about anything and it was always funny. In fact, Winston Churchill summed up his personality best, and this is why we love him. Churchill once wrote, and I quote, Curse this ruthless time. How short are the years allotted to man, and how much we must cram into them. Actually, we are all worms, but I do believe that I am a glowworm. Unquote. And he was a glowworm. He is the funniest world leader we have ever had. There are more funny anecdotes about what Winston Churchill said than any world leader, even Jack Benny, I don't think, can come up close to how many funny lines Churchill had. And we admired him for being so funny against the odds of being prime minister at one of the most awful times in the history of Western civilization. And to prove how funny he is, I guess you'd like to hear one of my examples. Sure. Here is what well, you have no choice. You know that by now. <laughs> You've been with me long enough. Here is one of my favorites. Because Churchill's mother was an American, his mother was Jenny Jerome, an American. You know, we think of Winston Churchill as the ultimate Britisher. Well, his father was British. But his mother was American, and because Churchill had a British father and an American mother, Churchill always called himself a half and half. His father was the half, and his mother was the half. Because his mother was American, we always invited him over here during the war, after the war, to parties. He loved parties. He loved to eat and drink, and he didn't like to pay for it, so it was ideal for him. The only party he would not go to in America Every fall in New York, the snootiest New York hostesses hosted a luncheon in the fall. And they knew if they could say, my special guest will be Winston Churchill, it would be the coup of the social season. He only went one time. And the only reason he accepted the invitation, and this was the snootiest hostess of all New York City, he found out that this snooty hostess had as her personal chef the man who could make the best southern fried chicken in America. And Churchill was very partial to southern fried chicken. So he goes to this Fifth Avenue luncheon. They open the door. There is Churchill. There are 300 people in this woman's place. And when Churchill steps in, everyone invited has in their hand a book 
that Churchill had just written. They force him into the back corner, and he is signing his books for hours. And at noon, to his horror, he sees that the servants have brought out the silver platters for the fried chicken buffet. They've put it out. Everyone's going through the line for lunch, but he's trapped with 35 other people, and he sees that the chicken is disappearing, and this is why he came. So he had an aide he took with him named Frank, so he yells across the room, Frank, save me a few chicken breasts. Well, the snooty hostess overhears this, of course, and she goes up to Churchill, and in her most condescending way, she says, Sir Winston, you forget yourself. This is America. We don't say breast. We say white meat. Churchill shrugs. They bring him some chicken breasts. He eats them, and that's that. But the next day, there's a knock at the hostess's door. She opens the door, and there's a florist with a huge box. He gives the uh, snooty hostess the box. She opens the box. There's a gorgeous corsage. And at the bottom, there's a little card that says, From Winston Churchill. And she reads the note, and it says, Madam, I enjoyed your luncheon yesterday very much. Enclosed is a corsage. I would appreciate it if you would pin it on your white meat. <laughs> Now, that is a classic That's Churchill funny. story. So, so what made him such a leader for us to reflect on, be aware of? Why is he in like so valuable now? I can tell you. It's the same reason that we have leaders in the Bible. He was a prophet. Most of us today can't make sense of the present, don't understand the past, and could possibly predict the future. But in 1933, when nobody in England had even heard of Adolf Hitler because he was just starting to come into power, if Churchill was invited to a dinner party beginning in 1933, the minute he stepped in the door, gathered everybody around, and he started ranting about someone named Adolf Hitler that nobody had ever heard of, and he told people from 1933 on, exactly what Hitler had in store for the English if they didn't wake up and start arming. And, of course, the hostesses at the parties would say this really took the party atmosphere right out the window, and they stopped inviting him. He knew what Hitler was going to do before Hitler knew. From 33 on, he warned the British. But that's not the most impressive thing. After World War II was over, he sat down and realized that the United States of America and Russia were now the two only superpowers in the world. He needed to warn the world what was coming. He was invited to give an address to students at Westminster College in Podunk, Fulton, Missouri, because Truman was president and invited him, and Churchill decided to use that opportunity in a speech we now call the Iron Curtain Speech. It started off, from Stettin in the Baltics to Trieste in the Adriatic, an iron curtain has descended upon the continent of Europe. If you read that speech today, you will gasp because you will understand. It was given in 1946, and he spelled out what we now call the Cold War era from 1946 until actually the Berlin Wall fell in 1989. He got it all right before it actually happened. That speech he knew was so good that he had it published in 
every British newspaper in England the next week. People read it and thought, this man's a genius. He could still be prime minister. So they voted him back in in 1951. He swore it was the Iron Curtain speech where he predicted the modern 20th century before it happened that got him in. And by the way, when he finally, uh, in 1955, left the prime ministership, he was 82. Not many world leaders are on that stage. And the other thing about Churchill today, if you have not seen the, the, the series The Crown that Netflix is putting out, they had John Lithgow cast as Churchill. He would think would be all wrong, but he is exactly, exactly right. And also this year, there was that wonderful uh, movie on PBS about when Churchill had a stroke and they had to hide it. The man who played Churchill there was brilliant, too. Churchill is making a comeback. And why wouldn't he? It's why Jane Austen, as an author, has made a comeback today. Jane Austen wrote for the single most mannered society on earth. Everybody knew their place. Everybody knew how to address somebody. A child knew how to address an uncle in a way different than a stepchild. Why is Jane Austen so famous today? Because it turns out this is the most unmannered age in the history of the world that we are living through. So we pick up Jane Austen and we think it's Disneyland. It's this divine world that we know nothing about because people actually cared about manners and good taste back then. And so, of course, she's popular. We tend to go to read and to admire people who lived in an age that we can only dream of now. Okay, I have one quick question. Okay. It says, can you give me a, maybe a quick answer? No. Okay. <laughs> because, it, I mean, it's fascinating, and maybe you'll come back. I uh, just might. If you can double the salary. This is zero <laughs> times zero. Yes, I think you have that in your budget. And you don't have to fly anywhere. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm flying now. Haven't you noticed? Yeah, I've been, I've been flying for an hour. <laughs> if only any of this were true, wouldn't it be fascinating? No, it's well, all true, people. Why profit? Uh, what, what do you mean, why profit? You said Churchill was a prophet. Because he predicted what I'm saying. Okay, so why leaders? Leaders oh, are meant to be a prophet? Absolutely. Okay, because tell me that. here's why. Okay. We have just gone through a three and a half year campaign for the 2016 election. And what we want to know from our candidates is how are you going to tackle these problems that are going to come up? Politics is not about the past, it's not about the present, it's only about the future. You elect somebody because you're worrying about your future and you try to elect the person that you think has a better idea of what's coming and how it can be handled. It's as simple as that, I think. But Go ahead on Churchill that. was not considered a prophet back in the 40s. He was not. Only later exactly. on. Exactly. So it's always well, They didn't have the word. The I mean, they didn't just... They say, oh, look what he knew it. So yeah, but now, exactly. now we know. Exactly. And that's what makes life so fascinating. Know. You can't... Right. You're going to have to elect them on a, you know, on a wing on and a, a prayer. Promise. It's only... Yeah. As they say, you know, we have to live life forward, but it only makes sense when we look at it yeah. backward. And that's what makes us human. It's a very... Yeah. It was Kierkegaard, I think, who said that. You know, we have to live it forward, but it only makes sense when we can look it backward. And then one person has said, and I think it's very interesting, there is no such thing as the past or the future. And when you think about it, it really makes sense. Eckhart when we Dole. Yes. When we when we talk about you do know that, I must say. I told her before the show. No, I didn't. I swear I did. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, when we talk about the past, all the past is is our present recollection of what happened to us before. 
And there is no future. When we say future, we're talking about expectations, our expectations. You know, the Jetsons never happened. That wasn't the future. So all we have is the present. And since all we have is the present, we better select our leaders really carefully. So far, that's never been tried, but I'm hoping in the future we might actually do it. So this has been fabulous, and, it I, has and been. I can be silent and deadly. So anyway, I can't be silent or deadly. <laughs> we make so a good pair. We do make a good pair. We're going to have to do more of this. I would enjoy. I, it. I would love that. And so, and to the seven of you listening, thank you. Oh, no, we've had more than seven. <laughs> I know I'm sure. you have. And this is fabulous. But before I ask you to like sum up, okay, I just want to let everybody know about my book. Absolutely. If you don't know about it yet, it's on Amazon. It's a paperback and Kindle. It's called In Just One Afternoon. And it's transparent. Oh, yeah, because it's blue. Okay, <laughs> In Just One Afternoon, Listening to the Hearts of Men. I've interviewed 22 men about their life, their secrets, their backstories, their engaging, their transformation. It's really interesting, and everybody that's read it has loved the stories that these men have shared because they're real, they're raw, and they're current. So please feel free to go get it. Leave me a, um, a review. I'd love to hear it. Contact me personally at Marilyn at MarilynShannon.com because it means a lot. I owe these men, I owe this book. It's, it's, it's taken on a life of its own. If you know of any place that I can speak, present, share the book, bring the men or whatever, anywhere in the world, just let me know. I'm uh, not leaving till I get a copy, no, and I'm, I'm buying it. No, no, no. I'm going to give it to Even you. Even better. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, go ahead. Sum up anything. Gosh, I guess what this hour has really shown, it's, it's the only time I've ever been interviewed when I was not interviewed on a single topic, and I am not a single topic guy. So, Marilyn, I owe to you, and you know, after all these years of living, you were the first person to allow me to present a variety of topics, and as we all know, if you're interested in learning, you're more interested in learning about everything than you are about one thing in particular. And you've allowed me to do that, and I'm most grateful. Really? Oh, God. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I want to thank you because, you oh, know. my pleasure. I don't know, but we are all reflections and mirrors of each other. when we allow, And when we allow each other to be and we allow ourselves to be, it's amazing what magic Right? Fairy. What fairy? Yeah, exactly. this is how it can be. Yeah, I, agree. I agree. This is how it's... I, I don't know what Elliot knows, but I'm along for the ride. And that's he, how I am with other people, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's what's so beautiful, isn't it? And then one thing you have to be is a listener. And if there's one thing Marilyn is good at, and it certainly was demonstrated this afternoon, <laughs> it was listening. And we knew she was listening because she followed up with questions that showed you she was not only just waiting for me to stop talking, as most people are, but she was thinking about what I said and directed me another way. And I appreciate that, too. Well, it's been a blast. Well, thank you. Goodness, yeah. the hour is over. It's, yeah, it is over. And I want to thank everybody. Let me think. Oh, here. Thank you, Mary. Okay, so there is a question here I know. Okay, so so Marianne is asking you mm -hmm. a question. Marianne, ask it. Please ask that question. I can't find it. She uh -oh. would love to invite you to Skype with my class. Oh, get in touch. And and just go to my website, ProfessorAngel.com. My phone number's there. Call slow. me. I'd like, oh, oh, yeah. My website is ProfessorAngel.com. Go to it. I listen to all requests, and I take all the ones I can. So that might be great. I'd rather come to your class than Skype with your class. That would be really fun. I would. Yeah, you know, last week I had a guest on who's a professor 
doctorate student from George Mason, and and yeah, and she invited me to come to a class. Okay. Yeah, and sure. you know, Skype is fine, but you know, uh, yeah. one on one. No, no, no. You're right. I mean, it's, it's like great. an actor with an audience. Yeah, it's you need great. Feedback. Yeah, you need great. to feel it. Yeah. Right. So this is fabulous. I want to know what happens, and we should at some point, Marianne, have some of your students on with. Elliot. Wow. Love to do that. And they a, can Skype in and you can what come. What a fertile mind. Oh, I'm fertile. All right. <laughs> we all used up. to be. Yeah, well, I ain't giving it up. Good and for I, you. No, no, no. She said she'll do and next time she, you're in South Dakota, drop in. Oh, it's that Marianne. <laughs> do you know her? Yeah, she's an English teacher in South Dakota. Cool. You bet I do. Oh, I didn't know it's that she. That is so. And well, in Huron, South Dakota. Fabulous. Yes, next time I get up there, I'm going right well, there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next time I get there, we're I'm calling right? Marianne. No, no, Oh, not we're all. still on. Oh, Oops. Yeah. We're saying goodbye now. Marianne, I didn't realize it was you from Huron, South Dakota. Those are my favorite students. They make fun of my mustache. What more can you ask? <laughs> perfect. <laughs> there we perfect. are. Perfect, perfect. Great. What a town. So anyway, thank you all for thank enjoying you. with us today. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Mwah. See you next week. You're tuned to the Nissan Communications Network. If you tuned in too late, you can always watch each program in its entirety or download an MP3 audio file of it in the archives section on nissancommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter, and like us on Facebook. tuned to the Nissan Communications Network. If you tuned in too late, you can always watch each program in its entirety or download an MP3 audio file of it in the archives section on nissancommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter, and like us on Facebook. Sponsored by Atomos.com, makers of quality video recorders and converters, CarolinaApparel.com, and DeltaForce.net.